Alright everybody, this is Big John again, here with the big questions, and listen, for this episode, one of my favorite guys in the, on the planet, I think he's possibly got the greatest radio voice I've ever heard today. Whatever. <laughs> None. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. I gotta have the theme music, man. You gotta have the theme music. I'm, right, talking, I'm talking about none other than my pal, Dr. Steve from Weird Medicine on Sirius XM. Is it channel 103 there, Dr. Steve? That's right. It's the Faction Talk channel, channel 103. All right. Our and, show is on uh, Saturday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern and Sundays at 5 p.m. Eastern. There you go. Perfect. And listen, I've heard a rumor that now, in terms of total... Uh, on-air service, you've actually lasted there longer than, say, Opie and Anthony or Ron and Fez and all these other shows. Get yourself a bill. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I'm dealing. The... I'm dealing with another radio guy, so he's got the soundboard <laughs> and everything ready to go. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, weirdly, one day we realized that we were the longest-running show on the channel, and it includes Opie and Anthony show. Right. Right. And uh, so, congratulations on that, man. It's it's quite the, yeah, uh, it's quite the accomplishment, really. Um, having been an old serious guy that only made it through one season, I, I can appreciate what it takes to be on the air for that long. Well, having a file on everyone uh, doesn't <laughs> hurt. You know what I mean? I hear you, brother, and it's probably some, it's probably some weird VD files or something that you got. I, I can't say. Oh, I that's right. Those, I keep those, my mouth shut. Those damn HIPAA laws. Uh, <laughs> Listen, before we go on to the general questions that I have for you, just uh, let's let's stick on this theme of doing a radio show. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of weird. Everyone I've talked to in radio almost has a different origin story. You know, like for myself, I literally one day sent an email uh, to Steve Cohen. Uh, we had known each other virtually, literally, uh, by doing some work together like 10 years beforehand. And he said, sure, dude, come on down, do a demo. And if it's any good, we'll, we'll put you on the air. Sure. And if you listen to people who have been in the traditional radio business, they think I'm some sort of freak, right? Because I got on literally in a matter of like a month. Right. Um, what was your sort of, how did you get started with Sirius XM? How, how did you get your show, your time slot? Talk to me about yeah, that. Yeah, that's great. Bit. It's sort of a weird story. So... Uh, going way back to when Opie and Anthony first started on Sirius XM, you know, at that point, they really didn't have a morning show on Sirius XM. And you had Monsters of the Midday, I think, was right. the only sort of, uh, you know, somewhat fun show that was on the air at that point. And when they came on, they were very accessible and they were on AOL Instant Mes uh, Messenger. And. I ran into Jim Norton, just saw him on and, and, you know, said, hey, man, you know, I'm a big fan of the show. And he said, hey, are you really a doctor? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, I have this weird place on my left nut. Can we talk <laughs> about that? Now, I can only tell you about this because he talked about it on the air the next right, day. Of course. Yeah. So the next day he gets on the air and says, yeah, I was talking to this doctor in Tennessee about this place on my nut. And he told me X, <laughs> Y, and Z. And Anthony interrupted him and said, oh, yeah, because we know all the best doctors are in Tennessee. And it uh, it pissed me off because, well, what they didn't know is I'm the editor-in-chief of a national medical journal. I um, have, you know, about 100 articles in the national medical literature that, uh, you know, I primarily wrote, and I'm on faculty at a university and that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's I'm not patting myself on the back, but I'm not just some 
bumpkin, which was what they were implying, <laughs> which of course they were just doing it to be funny. Yeah. So uh, I immediately faxed them my resume <laughs> and um, they thought it was funny. And so they started calling me. Right. Uh, should should E-Rock uh, do the cinnamon challenge? Is it safe? And I would say, no, it's not safe. And then they would do it anyway. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and then one day Opie uh, made an announcement on the air that said, if any of the listeners have an idea for a radio show, we've got some slots on Saturday night and this golden ticket thing. So I immediately emailed Steve Carlisi, who at that time was uh, uh, the executive producer of the show, and he is sadly no longer with us. He's one of a really nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, anytime I ever emailed him, he would always email me right back. So I knew he was the one to go to. And uh, so I just said, I've got this idea for a show. And I just made up a name on the fly. I said, oh, we'll call it Weird Medicine. And uh, we'll talk about your listeners' horrible, you know, habits. And I'll tell weird stories about medicine. And I'll answer medical questions. And we'll do it uncensored. And he, he immediately emailed me back and said, I love the idea. Let me get back to you. And about two weeks later, uh, they greenlit it. And uh, my partner at the time, P.A. John, and I flew up to uh, Sirius XM with our spouses and, um, and did our first show. And we had practiced nonstop for two weeks. We had like 20 topics that we were going to do. And as soon as we got there, the phone lines were completely <laughs> overwhelmed. And we, I think we did one topic, and Erock said, look, you got to stop doing these topics. You need to start answering questions because the calls are going in. We didn't know what the hell. Right. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Anthony Cumia was there that night, which made me twice as nervous because he, I was sitting in his chair <laughs> that he does the show, and he was sitting in the, uh, in the audience and, you know, evaluating us as we went on. And after it was over, he said that was the best first show I've ever seen in my career, which was pretty cool. Uh, we were very excited about that to the point where P.A. John and I, as we came out of the building on 57th Street, we looked up at the Parker Meridian and we were picking out where we should uh, buy a condo because <laughs> surely we would need one with all the Sirius XM money we were right, going to right, right. Little did we know we would do the show for the next two years for free. Yes, sir. And I, I'm sure you're well aware of that yeah. that uh, situation. And then uh, a few years in, they decided to pay us a little bit. But uh, I could do this the next 50 years and still not have enough to make a down payment on that condo in, at the Parker <laughs> Meridian. So, <laughs> but you know, it's but I don't do it for the money. Right, right. Well, a lot of people seem to think that if you get on radio, you're instantly rich. You right. know, um, and no, that's. Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony. <laughs> yeah. And maybe Ron and Fez from the yeah, folks that we yeah, knew, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. People, when I tell them like, hey, in actuality, when you consider uh, transportation and feeding your staff and all that, you actually, as a host, lost money if it was your show initially <laughs> on Sirius. I remember, um, you know, but I also remember that on my on the night of my first show was a weird thing because you were in New York doing a very special show when you inter when you interviewed Ronnie B um, and he had that you guys did that great show on addiction oh okay and, and, and yeah. uh, we ran into you in the hallways the studio my studio and uh, the oh, ONS, yeah and you ran into me and you said Jesus Christ you actually do wear jer football jerseys in the studio don't you 
you know, or something to that I, effect. Yeah. I don't remember. I have no recollection. Right. Of this. But you, but I made a mental note um, of all the people in radio. Some most, let's face it, have no interest in helping someone else succeed. It's, it's yeah. a cutthroat business. But I will say that there are three or four people that really helped the nobody like me. One was uh, Ron Bennington. Yep. He literally went from calling in fantasy football advice to his show to where he walked into the uh, to Steve Cohen's office and said, you got to give this guy a show. Oh, so, that's you know, awesome. He's an awesome dude. The yeah, second he is, listened to all of our demos, too, and gave yeah. us advice before we did the first one. Yeah, he's an amazing so, guy. Uh, anytime I ran into him on the streets of Manhattan, always stopped to say hello. I, I love that yeah. guy to death. Um, the second was you. Like, And since we met... I mean, you've answered texts for me on my own personal medical stuff. I'd call you and say, oh, sure. oh, Steve, I just got out of a weird car accident. T talk to me about my hip, you know. And you, without missing a beat, you would always return my text. So I greatly appreciate you for that. The other one was Jim Norton. Just see me out of nowhere. And, uh, hey, buddy, how you doing? But, you know, yeah. hey, good luck. And, yeah, let's take a couple of pictures. And every time I've seen Jim, it's the same thing. He doesn't remember my name, but he says, hey, I remember you. You know, so it's like that. And the fourth, yeah. you won't believe this, Cousin Brucey. Oh, yeah. Uh, he I've never met. Yeah, he always broadcasted at the same time my show was broadcasting. So during breaks, he comes, hey, Cousin John, you know, <laughs> you got to talk with a real radio voice, Cousin John. And I mean, he was on 24-7, so I always love that guy for that, too. Yeah. But radio is yeah. a cutthroat business. Let me ask you this before we move on. How do you see, now you also were a podcaster, as was I, before we got our gigs, and I have to ask you, man, do you see radio, either terrestrial or even satellite, being as relevant now, say, as it was even five years ago, 10 years well, ago. Well, it's hard to say. You know, the one thing about SiriusXM is they certainly do have content that you can't get anywhere else. True, true, true. And um, so that's that's the key. Content is king. Right. So uh, if, you have, if you're on Spotify and you have Joe Rogan, that's huge. You can pay him $100 million dollars to right. do his podcast and the thing about joe rogan is he will tell anybody this that opie and anthony were the ones that uh inspired him yes to do and particularly anthony anthony when right. after he got fired uh you know opie and anthony kind of demonstrated how you could just have a hang and right. just hang with people and make that into a show and then anthony showed that you know once he got fired you could do something from his home and make it quality yeah. and uh joe will tell everybody that that th those are the two main influences that caused him to now have a hundred million dollar deal with spotify when god yeah. bless him you know yeah i i heard i read that deal and uh being a marketer myself i was like amazed that spotify would Honestly, cough up that money and still allow them to put clips on YouTube. Clips, but not whole shows. Exactly. But I still think it's a great deal for Joe Rogan, and God bless him. And, um, yeah, speaking of Anthony, yeah, I also ran into him a couple of times at his new studio where we were, uh, where he was just saying in the beginning, have come by and hang out. So did a couple of times. Another great guy, by the way. Not, not yep. like necessarily like his on-screen, uh, on-air persona. No, not at all. But, not a, at all. but a really, a really great guy. All right. Um, let's move on. Uh, let me ask you this because, and I have to say this, not as uh, sort of anything to insult you, but just to let people know, you're a real doctor. You know, like you mentioned before, you edit a supposedly. national. Supposedly. You're a real doctor. So uh, let me ask you this. Uh, COVID-19, you know, obviously yes. we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, oh, what? Really? <laughs> I'm the master. 
I'm my show has been my show, right? My show has been nothing but COVID nineteen since mid February. Right, right. Now I happen to also be married to a microbiologist, and oh, that's awesome. And then yeah. back in the day, I also have a degree in biology. So while I'm not a doctor, um, I kind of where does he work? Uh, he work. I don't know. Just... Uh, you're very uh, politically correct. No, she works in a in a hospital <laughs> lab here in New York. Uh, she, you know, so yeah. she's, um, and, and her specialty is mycology, but obviously she knows a lot about everything, but, sure. um, she's but a scientist. She's so a scientist. She, yeah. She knows stuff. <laughs> you don't have to be a virologist to be able to know stuff about COVID-19. Exactly. But I have to tell you one thing though, aside from the seriousness of it, and if you live in New York in particular, you know, it's not a hoax, you know, it's not bullshit. Uh, there's people dying, you know, and, uh, Right. You know, if you saw the lines outside like Elmhurst Hospital or something, you know, this is not bullshit. This is not a conspiracy. This is not some libtard plot to uh, control the minds of people. But I have to ask you, man, what is it about something like this where you have this preponderance of nonsense conspiracies around this? So, like, some but of the this is somehow different than anything else in our lives right now. And I don't even know that it's a preponderance. It's just that they, they, there's the most noise generated around those things. I think most people – look, look at Georgia. Georgia's right. numbers. They reopened April 30th, May 1st, something like that. And they're looking pretty good. Everybody's social distancing. They're wearing their masks for the most part. Uh, you'll see an outbreak here or there when a group of people does something stupid and there's an infected person in their midst. But I just did my uh, COVID-19 sit rep, which, I, by the way, I'm doing on YouTube on the Laugh Button channel uh, every week and uh, analyzed their numbers. And they're still declining. Their new cases are still declining. So if that, if there was a preponderance of maniacs that just thought this was all BS, their numbers would be going up uh, significantly because the virus is still out there. Uh, so I, I think that a lot of people, you know, we are a very divided country compared to what we were in, say, maybe in 1918, although I wasn't there and I don't right. have a lot of evidence. But it just seems like, uh, you know, even the world itself was, you know, just coming off of World War One was still... Uh, more um, uh, unified at that time. I don't know if I, I, like I said, I don't have any evidence for that. It just it seems that way. Right. Now, but I'm, just remember <clears throat> that the, yeah. the Roaring Twenties came out of came out of the pandemic of 1918. So the Roaring Twenties that come out of this pandemic should be quite uh, stellar. I, I would hope so. Um, but I was thinking more of the conspiracy. Let me throw these little notes yeah. that I made. You tell me what you think about them. Um, okay. The the COVID nineteen is actually a Chinese bioweapon originating from the Wuhan Institute. Right. So we have some pretty good, if not conclusive, evidence that it was certainly not man made this virus because the mutation on the spike protein that causes it to be uniquely um, uh, uh, able to connect right. to the ACE two inhibitor in humans is modified is mutated in a way that if you looked at it as a virologist you would say this would never work right i got you um so, what, uh this certainly through natural selection yes and and i had read that they had uh, done the sequencing to determine that but i just wanted to sort of get a doctor's uh, viewpoint and and i like the way you explain that what about that 5g 
is causing COVID because wherever they put up 5G, there seemed to be a concentration of COVID cases. Yeah, I don't know how those two things could be. Um, could could I'd, I'd love to see how they're drawing the line between those two points. I would too. Because but... unless somebody that was working on 5G had COVID-19, you know, that somehow the engineers uh, had it and were, were distributing it around. You know, correlation and causation are not the same thing. Really? So, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, there are some people think that they are. You know, you can show a graph showing increase in birth rates in, say, the Netherlands, and also a graph showing the same slope of a stork population. Right, right. And you could say, oh, well, of course, you know, the storks bring the babies, you know, that, so that, it's an example of correlation that has nothing to do with causation. There are external factors. Could be uh, that the weather's gotten better or that there's more food in the, in the environment, whatever it is. Uh, so I, I have that's the first time I've heard that that 5G was somehow uh, uh, linked into this. Of course, we, you know, where's our 5G in this country standing right now? Do you know? I mean, I know there there's one group that's promoting it. But. Yeah. And, and what's interesting about it is, again, like you said, it's the causation without cor uh, correlation without causation. Uh, you use that example. I tend to tell people who kind of subscribe to that is, well, I can correlate anything to the sun rising every morning. Yeah, right. Sure. It doesn't mean that the sun causes these things. So, right. yeah, I think it's just another conspiracy hoax. Um, now, talk to me about Plandemic. Have you heard about that? Um, I have that, heard about it. Yeah. I can't see it. Every time I go to try to watch it, it's yeah. it's gone. Yeah, it, it was one of these. It makes me want to see it that much more. Well, yeah, I, I, I haven't seen the whole thing. I've seen excerpts of it. Um, and it's it's hilarious to me because it's really. Uh, it was produced by someone who also produces a lot of these sort of Alex Jones types uh, conspiracy theories, anti-vax, uh, anti-vaxxers, and things of that nature. So it really, um, you know, it really was a bunch of horseshit, and there was a lot of good. Uh, <laughs> well, that's your opinion. I that, haven't. Seen that, that, that's so. my opinion, and it was pretty well debunked by a lot of the major uh, newspapers. Okay. Um, but um, I just had wondered if you had oh. seen that or not. So yeah. the mainstream media debunked it? Well, that makes me feel so much better. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to determine if that was a sarcastic uh, well. comment or not. <laughs> just, a, you know, a little bit of irony in there. I, I, there's, I, one thing I like about this age is that, yes, you've got the far right and the far left and ne'er the twain shall meet. And then you've got all this information across this whole spectrum. Right. Somewhere in there, the truth lies. Sure. And it's not always with the mainstream uh, corporate media. You know, Michael Malice calls them the cathedral. Sure. Uh, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But there are other outlets and you've just got to do your own research and vet these things. Because, um, you know, that's just that's what we were given brains for. No, I agree with you 100 percent. And I think the pendulum, since you mentioned Steve Carlisi, the pendulum has definitely shifted the other way right now. Right. I think initially growing up being a good libertarian or maybe the only one in New York, um, I always used to say, well, God damn it. These, you know, these left wing news sources. Right. CBS. Walter Cronkite was pretty much a communist as far as I can tell. Is that and, right? Yeah. And you could never get anything straight, but I never doubted the facts of the news. So the New York I, Times. I agree. Totally right? agree. The New York Times might have been Pravda West, but I didn't. I never viewed them as outright liars. Now. Yeah, I never. Yeah. Cronkite. The, the thing about Cronkite was that I never 
Now, I was pretty young, but I'm older than you, so yeah. but I never felt like I knew where his political leanings were. Now, Dan Rather was the first big one sure. where you kind of knew because he was the one that sort of contributed to taking Nixon down. You know, Absolutely. So you sort of knew that he was anti-whatever mm -hmm. Nixon was. Uh, but before that, you kind of didn't have a clue who, where these people stood. And, right. you know, so, but I think that was a good thing. Yeah, I agree with you on that, by the way. But at least you never doubted the, the integrity of the news. That's right. That's journalism. right. That's right. Now, and while I agree with some of the, I'll, let's call them the Trump supporters and the people who don't necessarily take mainstream media at face value, I agree. Yes, they have a left-leaning bias. There's no doubt about that. But now I don't know what the truth is anymore. I, there's is it a bias, though, or is it an agenda? That's, there's a difference. Agreed. I tend to think it's a bias. In other words, I don't think that, and I consider myself a libertarian, so I have no horse in the left-right uh, sort of uh, uh, thing, right? But I don't know that it's an agenda for the majority of journalists. I think the majority of journalists are left-leaning because they're humanists, right? They do what they do because in their minds, they're helping people. And hmm. humanists, much like my mother, whether they realize it or not, tend to be left-leaning. Let's take care of everyone. Let's give health care to them. Well, how are we going to pay for it? Well, I don't know, but we need to take care of everyone, right? right. To right. me, that's a humanist position. Um, it's short-sighted, but it's a humanist position. However, I have to admit that I find this sort of like, and I don't even call them Republicans because I don't think it's the same Republican Party anymore. I call them Republicans. Um, those guys have an agenda. So the Steve Bannon, um, in my opinion, the Steve Bannon, uh, Breitbart type of axis there, the Alex Jones, they have a very uh, specific agenda, which is nationalist in nature. Now, I have no problem saying, you know, you want your support your country or whatever, but I feel that they've now done what it, classic propagandists have done for ages, which is mm. they've distorted the truth to the point where you don't know what's true anymore yeah. and you don't have to know you just have to well, doubt everything right I, i'm uh, my show particularly is pretty apolitical um i am a classic old school libertarian in the sense that i'm socially extremely liberal as my dad was the same way right. and uh i but i believe in small government and keeping government out of people's bedrooms and that kind of stuff so you know i'm a I'm basically a libertarian. I'm the only libertarian, by the way, that you'll ever meet that is, um, you know, it, I'm searching for the word, but sure. it, it's a weird juxtaposition that I'm also for single payer healthcare, <laughs> just because I see, I see what our current system does for some of my patients. You know, if they, right. they lose their job because they got to take chemo for six weeks and then they lose their house and they lose their health insurance and all that stuff. Um, you know, the um, people who go bankrupt from medical stuff, which Bernie is always talking about, isn't from their medical bills. It's from losing their job. Right. right. You know, but anyway, uh, or losing their income. Uh, but I am. I, I, and also the other thing is, is if you've ever filed anyone out there who is in healthcare knows this, that's ever filed a claim. If you've ever filed a claim and you file it to this insurance company and it gets denied because you didn't tick this box and you file it to a different insurance company, it goes straight through. And then the third one, you got to get a prior approval on these drugs that the other two allow you to do. And I multiply that times 100. Yeah. 
and you will be in favor of a single payer healthcare system just to get rid of that kind of BS. Yeah, I don't disagree with you that the healthcare system screwed up, and I don't want to dive into that necessarily. But okay, yeah, uh, no, we, could, we could do that some other time. I'm uh, trying to get off the left-right thing, but uh, yeah. the, the the most fascinating book that I've read in yeah. the last couple of years was Michael Malice's book called The New Right, yeah. because it explained so many things to me that I did not understand about what was going on in politics today, like Pepe the Frog. I didn't know what the, where that came <laughs> right. from, but he explains all that stuff, all the memes and tropes and stuff like that from The New Right. Uh, it was quite fascinating. And, and it, anyone, whether you're a rightist or leftist, in between, libertarian, yeah. whatever, you should read that book. Well, Mike Malice, just to finish that off, I find to be a very, very interesting character, right? Because basically yes. he's an anarchist. And I think right. he, I, I don't think he'd take exception to that description of himself. No, it's, uh, he proclaims that he's an anarchist. Right. So t to him, it's almost like, um, you know, uh, he's interested in always stirring the pot and always uh, pointing things out that make you challenge your belief in any sort of structured system. So from that yep. perspective, I appreciate someone like that. And and he's really Me smart, too. too. He's really smart, he's which, brilliant. I, which I also appreciate. All right. Uh, last question on, on COVID. Uh, in your opinion, have we handled it uh, as a response uh, properly? Are we currently hand, handling it properly? Do you think what's the next logical step as you see it? Well, we are seeing a linear increase in new in total cases right now. So that means if you have a linear increase, you're adding numbers, right? So you're going 20, 21, 22, 23, right. 24, like that. So the same number, or it can be adding, you know, 200, 400, 600, you know, that like that, but you're adding numbers. When this thing started, we were multiplying numbers. You know, it would you go. That's where you go. Two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two. That's the geometric expansion. Right, exactly. so we are no longer in a geometric system. We are in a linear system, which means that the R zero, which is the the name we use or shorthand we use for the number of people that any one person will infect on average, is right at one. Okay. Okay. So when it's two, it's or more, it's geometric. When it's one, it'll be linear, which is where we are. And then when it starts to decline, then it's less than one. Right. So herd immunity, for example, is a method by which we can get the R0 to be less than one. So uh, if the R0 right now, let's say for this virus, is 2.2, you know, the natural R0, then uh, there's a formula you can plug that in, and we need to have 55% of the country immune to this virus before we can start with herd immunity. Now, herd immunity just makes the R0 less than 1. It doesn't end the thing that day. Right. So if your R0 is 0.9, for example, because of herd immunity, then 1,000 people will still infect 900 people, but then they'll only affect 810 people and then 720, you know, and it will eventually peter out and then, and then and die altogether. So uh, what we're hoping for right now that could happen tomorrow is a drug like favipiravir, which is the Japanese drug from Fuji, that could be that is in phase three trials right now, meaning thousands of people are getting it. 
if we can show that you treat someone who has early sickness, they come into your office, you do a nasal swab or a, a finger stick or whatever, and, oh, you got COVID-19, here's your prescription for favipiravir, go to the pharmacy and fill it. If that will keep you out of the hospital and keep you from dying, this thing's over tomorrow right? And right. until we get a vaccine so that we can get herd immunity. Right. Now, barring that, we're going to have to keep doing what we're doing until such time as a vaccine comes out, which could be as early as August, probably no later than January. Okay. okay. Which is record time Agreed. for something like this. Yeah. The, and this is, some people will be scared by this, but uh, the federal government and um, uh, industry and the military are all working together to when they get a vaccine uh, that that it shows some efficacy and safety, they're going to roll it out to the whole country all at once. Right. And, uh, of course, that'll be yet more fodder for the conspiracy of theorists. Course. Like, of uh, course. Like one world order stuff. But the people who don't want to take it, if we only need 55% of right. the country to have herd immunity to to start this thing declining – there, there, there aren't 40% of the country are anti-vaxxers. Right. I, you know, well, well, I would hope 5 so. 5% at, at most. <laughs> I would hope so. But, yeah. uh, all right, and great. even some of those will line up for this vaccine. Oh, I think, too. I think a lot of them like to talk a lot of shit, but when it's their own kids' lives on the line, you know, it's a different type of mentality, too. But... Now, I have seen I Am Legend, so I want to make sure that this <laughs> thing is safe right, before right. we proceed. But uh, uh, one way that we could speed up the vaccine trials is... You know, when you've only got right now, we've got about less than one percent of the country is infected that we know of. Right. You know, we'll discount asymptomatic for right now that we know of that have it. So that's ninety nine percent of people don't have it. Now, when uh, you give a thousand people a vaccine, well, how long do you have to wait until one of them's going to get this? And how long do you have to wait until you can show that you're preventing Right. people from getting it. So really, in my opinion, the way to speed this up is to get volunteers, You young start off with young, healthy volunteers, uh, and you give them the vaccine. A week later, they come back, you shoot COVID-19 virus, which is SARS-CoV-2, up their nose. Right. And then you by God see, hmm. do they get it? Do they, do they not get it? Do they get it, but they don't get sick? Do they get sick, but they don't end up in the hospital? Do they end up in the hospital, they don't die? You know, which of these? Right. And uh, if, uh, if we do it that way, we could speed up these phases by months and months and months. Right. So that's something I'm advocating. At. And just to put my money where my mouth is, I'll volunteer to do it myself. I'm not wanting to volunteer some other people to right. put them in the in the uh, line of fire. I will volunteer if they it becomes available. I'll be the first one in line to sign up. I'm 64, mm. going to be 65 in September, mm. and uh, you know it's um, I'm in a high risk group, which right. is why my family is on um, vacation right now, and I'm not. I'm sitting right. here talking to you. Uh, well, you know, anyway. that's a that's vacation of sorts. I'm, I'm sure you're enjoying this. Uh, <laughs> vacation from... Uh, last one while whatever. we're at it. Uh, apolitically, apolitically. Yes. Uh, hydroxychloroquine with yep, erythrom yep. Uh, erythromycin, is it? that they? Um, yeah, and, and, and the big zinc. one now is in zinc, right? Right. Um, again, let me, let me ask you this. I, I've read 
I think the Lancet just came out with a journal saying that they found no reason to believe that this had any efficacy, this cocktail uh, for treatment. Uh, they didn't mention about prevention. But do you think right. it's wise for someone like the president to come out and say, hey, I'm on it. I think it's great. And the way he's been tapped now, granted, he may have information that we don't have and so on. But is it wise to sort of announce that when people are swallowing fish tank cleaner? Well, OK, we know one person did that. And there's some questions about that as well. So okay. um, and I think people are very well forewarned about the fish tank cleaner thing. Um, look, there was a, this initial French study, Didier Rao is the guy's name. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm not, I don't speak French, but um, it's that's the one a, Roman. That's a plus, language. by the way. That's a plus. Okay. Well, that's okay. <laughs> it's um, he had this series where he said, look, I treated 150 people and they all got better. So everyone was really excited about this. And then the data started rolling in. Well, that first study that was done were on people that they really gave it to them as the last resort. Mm. Now, there are tons of, you know, it's been, had emergency uh, approval by the FDA yes. to give it but while we have nothing else. And, the, you know, if there's a possibility it'll help, it's unlikely it'll hurt. Hell, my mother-in-law, and we she's talked about it on this show before, so I can say this, has been on this drug for uh, decades, you know, it, people with rheumatoid arthritis and undifferentiated uh, autoimmune dis diseases and um, lupus have been on hydroxychloroquine for decades. And it is an extremely safe drug. Now, you give it with azithromycin and then you run into this issue of increasing this EKG interval called the QT interval. And I, I've talked about it on my COVID sit rep. If you're interested, I did a whole thing with EKGs and showing how sure. that works uh, three or four back. Uh, but even then, we're talking about giving people this for five to 10 days. So the risk even there is minimal. Now, you can't just go out and go get this stuff. A physician or a, a licensed provider, a physician, NP or PA has to write it for you. The president's physician wrote this for him because they had two people in in the white house right. that apparently tested positive and they're like look we don't have anything else let's let's try this you're not at risk for having an adverse event now is it cool for him to go on tv and go i'm on this well i mean he you know i i can tell you what drugs i'm taking you know i'm on uh uh, low sartan for high blood pressure well right. there you know what's the difference you know so um, I don't think it's responsible or irresponsible. I don't think it's anything. He's just saying what his physician put him on. Okay. And uh, he does have some vested interest in this doing well, just like some because he promoted it in the beginning. He'd like to be vindicated, I'm sure. But, you know, the, the thing that gets me is the people that are rooting against this being successful uh, – because they don't like him or other people that are promoting it. They're part of the problem, in my opinion. We need sure. to root for all of these things to work. And you can vote against him in November if you don't like him. But don't root against, you know, a, 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 um, a modality that might have some validity down the road. Now, UCSF did a, a really, really interesting study where they mapped all the proteins that SARS-CoV-2 has to uh, – 
access to invade the human body. And then they looked at all the drugs they could find that had something to do with those with those receptors, right? right. Or with all those proteins. Well, guess what they found? Um, antibiotics like azithromycin, anti-malarials like hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine. So there is some scientific basis for this stuff. Now, Henry Ford Hospital right now is doing the study that I've been interested in, which is doing it on healthy people before they get infected to see if they don't get infected. Right. And uh, they're going to do several hundred to thousands of people. I don't know the number, but right. uh, because, uh, because that's what we need. I, I don't, at this point, Hey, remdesivir, I just did a COVID sit rep on remdesivir. I went into detail about this new uh, NEGM study, and it showed some positive effects on people in the hospital. Right. The lopinavir rotonavir study with uh, interferon beta-1b and ribavirin, we're looking at people in the hospital. I want to see a trial on people who aren't in the hospital, and can we prevent them from getting sick? Right or prevent them from going to the hospital. And Henry Ford's doing that on hydroxychloroquine. There are a bunch of studies. If, if your listeners or viewers yeah. want, want to learn about the studies that are out there, go to clinicaltrials.gov okay. and just put in COVID-19. Or you could put in hydroxychloroquine, and there's but a, a shitload of them. Right. That's the best term I can use. Fantastic. It's like 600 studies. Yeah. That's cool. I appreciate you saying that because... I, I, to be honest with you, I do find myself being, I'm, uh, by the way, FYI, I'm virulently anti-Trump. Okay. But I'll say, I'll say this. I, I do not root against, like you said, you know, if, if hydroxychloroquine is, is it, it's it. Uh, I kind of just object that he doesn't, for example, list the comor comorbidities associated with it, potentially, like people with breathing difficulties or whatever. Okay. Is um, that his job? Or, I mean, Burke and Burks and uh, Fauci have done all of that. Yeah. You know, I don't know that. I, well, the thing I wish he would do is just let the scientists do more. Yes. Talk. Thank you. I, that, I, you know. <laughs> we'll agree on that. <laughs> we'll agree on that. That That's the thing. Uh because you know, and don't brainstorm in public either. That whole yes. thing with the um, ultraviolet light, which <laughs> yeah. is really a thing, by the way. Yes. There is an uh, there is a an endotracheal tube that's got an ultraviolet light on. It's been patented. People have looked at that for sterilizing the upper airways and sure. stuff. So that wasn't completely dopey, but uh, you know the whole you know the anti antiseptic thing. It, it, I know what was going on in his head. He was just brainstorming. Right. But don't brains. That's not the forum to do that. Do exactly. that in the back office, and then if you get a positive thing, then you can bring it out to yeah. the public. I, I but, agree with you 100% on that, by the way. He's famous for brainstorming on the fly, and I, you could almost see the, the, the discomfort in all his advisors when he starts doing that. But Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm— this is one of those situations where it's so novel. Nobody knows what the hell. Right. And, you know, they say, well, we don't know if people who get this can get it again. That's right. We don't know that. We there's It's impossible to know that because no one's had it long right. enough to know if they can get reinfected again. But absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And that's where a lot of the science gets sort of thrown thrown into uh, this sort of social uh, social media mix right. and a lot of things get said that just really aren't right I now I'll agree with you with that a thousand percent okay let's move on to something now perhaps you'll enjoy a little more okay now, in my opinion you're a bit I get really uncomfortable with the political stuff <laughs> no, no not political I understand yeah, uh, you're I a little bit of a polymath in my opinion right in addition to being a medical doctor and 
physicist. Is that true? Well, uh, okay, no, that's that's not exactly true. I, okay. I was going to get my PhD uh, um, in organic chemistry. Well, I vacillated, and my interest was in the physics of organic chemical gotcha. uh, reactions, and I was interested in virtual particles and their interaction when when a, um, a chemical bond is formed. So, yeah. so I have an interest in physics. I have an interest in in um, well, a little bit more than an interest in organic chemistry. I published a paper in Journal of Organic Chemistry, but okay. then I made the transition to um, to medicine. But anyway. By the way, we used to have a joke when I was a biology student. Um, what do you call biologists who fail, uh, or pre-med students who fail organic chem? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Psychologists. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because okay. that's, that's where they ended up putting all their creds towards. Anyway. Let me ask you a question. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, in your opinion, who was the most talented man in history? Oh, talented. In any field? Are you talking yeah. about? Any field. Like if you thought uh, to yourself, oh man, this was the most talented dude I can think of in history, who would it be? Wow. Uh, James Clerk Maxwell's up there, but uh, Mozart's got to be on the, in your top 10. Mm -hmm. uh, just the incredible, the brain this guy had to write a symphony when he was four right. and uh, have the complete mastery. And, uh, you know, his, his and other people's uh, music from that era are still with us today. But Mozart was was incredibly brilliant yeah. and talented. Um, but James Clerk Maxwell... Un did the first grand unification. He unified electro, uh, electricity and magnetism. Magnetism, yeah. And he also determined through these four simple equations, and they're very simple uh, on the surface. Uh, my uh, nurse practitioner keeps calling me. Let me uh, tell her that I'm going to call her right back. Sure. Uh, but one thing that he deduced was that electromagnetic waves traveled at this thing called the speed of light, mm -hmm. they had to, he calculated what the speed of light had to be given these two properties, the uh, permit, permittivity and uh, penetrance or some other, I can't remember the exact, because uh, you're putting me on the spot, but sure. it took two seconds to come up with those numbers. But anyway, uh, from those he could calculate the speed that these electromagnetic waves would have to travel, and it was exactly the speed of light, which implied to him that Light was an electromagnetic wave. This was stunning. Yes. Revelation. Absolutely. And Einstein and um, Lorentz and those guys all, uh, you know, stood on Maxwell's shoulders when they did uh, the things that they did, which were also incredible. The fact that light has to have uh, a constant speed no matter what your frame of reference is which is nuts if you're traveling at 99.9 percent .9 of the speed of light and you shine a flashlight in front of you you'll still measure it at 186,000 miles per second right. the only way that that's possible einstein uh understood was uh that time must slow down for you that's the only way that that could happen right right, right. and uh, you know maxwell said that you know it's the same for people of all reference but didn't make that leap because they weren't thinking about people traveling that fast right, it wasn't right. even something you could think about okay so 
That's a good choice. Two good choices. I'll give you mine. Just yeah, I've give, asked because I'm just if you'd asked okay. me before I yeah. had a chance to think about, it, I might have come up with a more inspired answer. But. Yeah, that's okay. Well, you know, putting people on the spot makes for good radio. You know that. Um, <laughs> well, I I always go back and forth between Da Vinci and uh, Archimedes. Oh yeah, well, both great choices. Yeah, both, yeah. Da Vinci, come on. This guy was good at everything he did, the true Renaissance man. Absolutely, and, absolutely. And uh, that's why I agree, uh, pick those two, but Clark Maxwell. Okay. Greatest invention or discovery in the history of mankind? What What do you think might be the one invention or discovery that's had the greatest impact on humanity? Transistor. Transistor? Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My pick was going to be the printing press because I think it helps disseminate knowledge, which you then build on going well, forward okay i've ridden on uh on spaceship earth 2 at disney mm -hmm. and uh so uh so i i certainly agree with you on that point because that's their whole point on spaceship oh, really? earth if you so i was making fun of you like oh, uh, that you I've got your ideas from I've this never, disney ride i've never been to disney god hand to yeah. i hate okay theme parks but, but <laughs> okay. uh, people who have no no why okay. i was making that joke fair but, enough uh, yeah, no, certainly the printing press. But as far as where we are today, the transistor has completely uh, changed everything. And someday, if we're able to upload our brains into computers, it will be because the transistor was invented. Yep, yep. I can't say I disagree with you that much on it. Okay, and the final question. What's your beef with Dr. Michio Kaku? <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> I did have one. And okay. it wasn't really even a beef. He just drove me crazy so people <laughs> who don't know why you're asking me this i'll uh, just give him a little background sure. he used to call in to opie and anthony and then i would immediately call in afterward and just shit on everything that he said <laughs> and because uh, i i was a carl sagan fan and sure. carl sagan was a popularizer of science who didn't dumb it down and when Michio Kaku talks about, you know, time is a river or we're in a bubble bath of universes, to me, that's dumbing it down. And I was not a fan. Now, I have turned around. I've watched a bunch of his stuff. He really is a brilliant guy. He's a string, string theorist, which made me feel sorry for him <laughs> because, that, you know, it's just an impossible field to be in. And it's probably going nowhere, but it is fascinating. The math is is very elegant. Uh, but the other thing I realized when Jim Norton, he and Jim used to live in the same building, they would get on the elevator together and Jim would say that Dr. Kaku wouldn't even acknowledge his presence. And he thought he was being rude or he didn't like them. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I get it now. He's probably on the spectrum a little bit. This is just a couch yep. or very introverted at the very least. Yep. And this guy probably got beat up and made fun of his whole life for being so smart and I got made fun of and was beat up my whole life, not because I was smart, but for other reasons. <laughs> and just because I was an easy target, I weighed 122 in college all through college. So you can imagine what I would look sure. like and, you know, just skinny little wimpy kid. And um, I, so I started to identify with him. And now I feel like crap that I ever you know, crapped on. Although I still, everything I said about him at the time, I still agree with. I just, I'm sorry I did it in such a vociferous way. And I really, I tried to get him on my show. I was going to do a, what I thought was a really neat show with him because I've got some questions. I don't think other people are asking him. Like, for example, how is it that the universe and mathematics are so 
inexorably intertwined. I will leave you with one story about mathematics and the universe. And we were going to, I was going to talk to him about, I never could get his rep to get back to me. But um, there's this guy, Paul Dirac, right? He Mm -hmm. had this equation and he was working on this thing. And you know, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, The square root of 25 is what? Five. Or? Negative five. Ah, very good. Okay, I'll give you a, whoops. Bill. (laughs) Okay. Um, Most people get that wrong, but yes, five or negative five. So it can be the negative or, so he had um, a a, um, function that required him to solve the equation to take the square root of the, um, of the square of the charge of an electron. Hmm. Right. So, so he had uh, charging the electron squared and to, and to reduce the, the equation, he had to, to take the square root of that, right. which would be plus or minus the charge of the electron. Well, how could that be? Electrons are negatively charged. There's no such thing as a positively charged electron. So Dirac tried to figure out what was wrong. There had to be something wrong with his equation. And then he realized, you know, there's nothing wrong with my equation. There must be a positively charged electron out there somewhere. And it was some years later that they finally saw a positron, which is antimatter version of the electron, going through a cloud chamber, spinning around the wrong way in the magnetic field. And mathematical equation... He discovered the, uh, the positron in a mathematical uh, equation. There was no experiment being done. He wasn't even looking for it. It just popped out. Right. That, to me, is incredible. Yes. That somehow the universe works in such a way that this equation that was looking at something else completely would also have encoded in it uh, the mathematics for antimatter that we didn't even know existed. And yeah. now... to. Yeah. Today, we use every day in positron emission uh, tomography, you know, PET scans for cancer. We use antimatter every day. Well, you know what's fascinating about that? It almost takes you back to almost like Plato, right? When he said mathematics is like the really the meta, the, the, um, the transition to the meta universe, right? Right. right? And when you think of that back then, do those things actually exist? Do these constructs exist in some universe, or are we right. just making it up? And that's always been that argument. Right. You know, does this stuff? I happen to live, by the way, and you would have no way to know this, but we're talking through a trans-dimensional sure. portal. I live in a dimension where 45 plus 45 does not equal 90, mm-hmm. because anytime I make a effing picture frame i don't care how many times i measure it and how perfectly i measure it it never lines up i i hear you i hear on that uh uh my 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 father-in-law always used to because uh, my father-in-law was a farmer so yes i married a farmer's daughter uh but i'm a bronx kid i grew up in an apartment um, I could probably tell you how to how to like strip a car before I could tell you how to hang a picture. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I hear what you're saying about that. All right, Dr. Steve, I don't want to take up your time, but I do have some actual uh, funny questions for you to answer. Okay. So this one comes from a Jenny M. We actually right here have questions that we got from a Jenny M. Are MMR vaccines a life-saving procedure or a Soros-funded plot to produce slaves for the New World Order? Wow. Well, since the MMR has been around for decades, uh, I don't see. I, I'm not sure how that would work to uh, make slaves for the new world order. But I can tell you this: uh, measles 
um, will kill about one person in every thousand that gets it. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend in in kindergarten that died from measles, and uh, I I had measles myself, so I was never vaccinated for it. But uh, the measles vaccine allowed us to declare measles dead and buried in the United States uh, one year. And I can't remember the year, if it was 2009 or some year when we had no native cases of measles in the United States. So the other side of this, uh, they'll say, well, there's more deaths and uh, adverse effects from the vaccine than there are from measles. Well, of course that's true because we have a vaccinated population. When you have zero native cases of the disease, then of course the vaccine, no matter how low the adverse events are, is going to be worse. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the uh, the, the other side of that is measles. Uh, is a, um, a bad disease, and um, we need to uh, have true herd immunity. And the problem with it is, it's not like COVID-19, where the R0 is 2.2. The R0 for measles is 12. And if you wow. push, if you put that into the, it's highly contagious. Thank God it doesn't mutate. Uh, but if you put that into the equation, you have to have 95 plus percent of people to have herd immunity. Right. So we have to have universal vaccination or we, we're going to have problems. Right. So, right. so okay. yeah, I, I don't think so. I think MMR is a good thing. Okay. Uh, are but there it, adverse effects? Yes. Sure. And they're tragic when they happen. But not autism, right? There's n- it does not appear to be any link between autism after study, after study, after study between MMR. Right. And I, your anti-vax... Uh, you know, fans will uh, crucify me for this, but there I've looked at the studies. I've looked at them seriously with an open mind. Not a single one have I found or in any review of the literature, or any meta analysis that shows that there's a link between the two. OK, good. Uh, next one comes from Mikey P. Are female orgasms real or another plot by godless feminists to turn American <laughs> men into okay. homosexuals? I see. I see. I'm seeing a pattern here. Yes, they're absolutely real. Next question. <laughs> okay. This one comes from Alex J. Who do you think is behind the effort to prevent Americans from buying life-saving COVID treatments like toothpaste? Bought toothpaste today. <laughs> apparently, I, I don't understand that question. Uh, apparently, there's some uh, the the attorney general of New York and I believe the FDA had to send cease and desist letters to some purveyors of toothpaste, which is reputed to uh, vaccinate you against okay. Uh, COVID. Okay. Yes. Well, they should have sent a cease and desist for that. Yeah. Anyone that is trying to profiteer from this, yeah, uh, um, will there will be a reckoning for those people later on, and uh, particularly anyone selling fake cures, because you know, John, when you've got ninety nine percent of people not getting it and of those 99 percent of them get better you know the ones that do get it uh you can uh give a hundred people uh some quack cure and 99 of them will get better and go wow this stuff was awesome that's the problem you're absolutely right and those people will have a reckoning of some sort uh whether you believe in whatever uh i I agree with you all right and finally to put you on the spot let's see how uh, red your face can get dr steve are you Team Opie, Team Anthony, or Team Jimmy? Oh, okay. Well, I can answer that. The good news is, let me tell you something. None, none of the three of those people have ever once 
told me that I have to be on their team or, uh, uh, you know, I, I can't be on the other person's team or whatever. So uh, I've been on all three of their shows, no problems. None of them have said, well, I can't believe you went on X's show or Y's show or any of that kind of stuff. So, you know, when you've got a divorce, if you're going to hang out with mom, you got to hang out with dad too and, and probably the stepdad. So, you know, it's uh, it, we're all cool and I'm glad. And I'm glad that they never put me on the spot that way because it would have been very difficult. And you know what? I think that's the perfect question to end it on, the perfect uh, answer. Dr. Steve, again, Thank you so much for uh, consenting to this interview. I know I've been pestering you. And why don't you give us uh, <laughs> one more plug of your wonderful show and when it's on? Yeah, sure. It's uh, Weird Medicine. We're on uh, Sirius XM Channel 103 on uh, the Faction Talk Channel Saturday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, and on demand and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. We're also on iTunes. And uh, Riotcast Network, and also you can just go to drsteve.com for podcast news and crap you can buy. All right. Thank you, Dr. Steve. I really appreciate it.